0: Love, talk, radio.
1: This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving Live. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. That's 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's get this show on the road. Well, good afternoon, everybody, for those of you who are listening in live. um, Delighted to have you with us uh, again today. Um, And I always begin the uh, program by saying that these are your 45 minutes, but uh, it's our good fortune to be sharing the 45 minutes today with um, the likes of uh, Alfie Cohn, um, who's the author of many stellar books including Punished by Rewards and uh, Beyond Discipline, and um, he can give you the names of the others that he's written if he feels like it, but um, those are some of my favorites. Nonetheless, so I thought Alfie and I would uh, chat for a little bit early on here, but if you have a question or comment for Alfie, of course, call in. As always, if you're working with a student who's not responding very well to plan b running into trouble using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems uh, having difficulty getting your colleagues at school to buy in certainly feel free to call in anyways even if you feel like uh, that's not something that alfie would address directly but this is your opportunity to call in comment ask questions get the support you need or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Once again, if you want to call in, that number is 646-727-2691. If you're a little hesitant to call in, as always, you can send a question through electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. And uh we are really lucky to have Alfie with us today, and i'm gonna unmute Alfie and see if I've got the right uh caller here um Alfie is this you?
2: I don't know, is it <laughs> as usual, having an identity crisis i hear well it's it's a pleasure for once to be demuted. <laughs> I'm feeling very
1: powerful here I don't usually Alfie and i uh are go way back uh little known fact that Alfie and I knew each other in childhood. Um, But um, Alfie and I still occasionally have lunch together, and never have I had the power to use a mute button. Uh, So I'm feeling very powerful. Use it wisely. Uh, You know what? I'm going to try not to abuse my newfound powers, but I'm ecstatic that you uh, were able to join us and do this
2: today. Oh, delighted to be here with you, Ross.
1: What we usually focus on during this program, I don't like to call it a show because it's not really a show, but what we usually focus on is school discipline in general, kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges in particular. Mm -hmm. And um, these are things that you, of course, have uh, written quite a bit about, and quite a bit not only about um, what we do with challenging kids and how we sometimes misunderstand them and apply uh, interventions that tend to be way over the top in terms of being punitive. Um, Maybe we should start Just by me asking you, where where do you see school discipline heading these days? Are we heading in the right direction? Um, What do you see folks doing out there that you like? What do you still see folks doing out there that you think needs work?
2: I'm not sure I'm able to offer a sweeping statement about trends. I'm always skeptical of such statements when I hear or see them. Um, I can only put together anecdotal information. Uh, I think, as, as, as is always the case, Many educators are torn between what I might call a doing-to approach and a working-with approach, and you can uh, map that out onto your own schema about uh, different plans and baskets and so on. Um, I think there are many schools and individual educators who know in their hearts that punishing and rewarding kids to make them obey is not only ineffective, Uh, but more importantly, counterproductive. It doesn't help them to be the educators they know they can be and do what's right by kids, but there are various pressures, both internal and external, to get compliance. And so even schools that are trying to create caring communities, trying to come up with – Uh, peer mediation and conflict resolution problems and offer the support to individual troubled kids that they need nevertheless have trouble giving up um, those standbys of detention and suspension and uh, stickers and uh, marinating kids in praise and rewards. Um, And part of the problem, I think, is that we're looking for new techniques how do i deal with the kid who dot 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 without asking the underlying question what's the goal here and i think in too many schools it continues to be the case explicitly or implicitly that the real goal that informs their actions with this kid or this policy on a tuesday afternoon is not really helping kids to become compassionate ethical, happy people. It's to get kids to do whatever we want them to do. And as long as that continues to be the case, I think we're going to be thwarted in the, in the better part of ourselves to help kids become good people. So what should the goal be? Well, the first thing I do when I work with educators or parents is to ask exactly that question. Uh, I can offer suggestions, I can draw upon research, I can critically analyze policies, but it would be presumptuous of me to say, here's what your goal should be with your students. But wherever I go, when I ask that question, how do you want these kids to turn out after they've left your school or classroom, I get essentially the same answer. I get a list that I know from I, I mean, I gave you a couple of examples. I think listeners can guess. People say, we want kids to be critical thinkers, creative, curious, lifelong learners, problem solvers, kids who are happy, ethical, responsible, successful. We want them to be caring people, and so on. Those items appear on virtually every list. And so... Then my job, and maybe on some level your job, Ross, is, is to say to people in different ways, you say you want this, so how come you're doing that? And then what I do is offer arguments and research to show that typical approaches to school-wide discipline and classroom management not only don't help kids turn out that way, they actively impede the realization of those goals. For example... A couple of studies have found that kids who get rewards or praise tend to be less generous and caring than their peers. And I help people to see that giving kids doggy biscuits for jumping through our hoops tends to make them focus more on self-interest. It's very logical. No wonder the research finds that. And similarly, any kind of punishment, even if we use euphemisms like Logical consequences are basically saying to kids, here's how we'll make you suffer if you don't comply with our expectations. It's not just that some kids, and you and I have talked about this, um, it's not just that some kids with special challenges and needs are unaffected by punishment, so that's not the right strategy for them because they're doing the best they can. It's that no kid ever benefits from any kind of punitive intervention because punishments like rewards can never buy us anything other than temporary compliance, and even that at substantial cost. You're
1: preaching to the choir as far as I'm concerned. Of course, you and I talk frequently, and so um i know that you and i are on the same page mm-hmm. I, I was in um i'm up in maine actually right now uh uh-huh. up uh way north of uh, portland and was visiting some head start programs today yes and was um of course struck by number 1 the neediness of many of the kids in some of the classrooms and this is not specific to head start I'm Struck by the neediness and lagging skills of kids in every classroom that I visit. Although, in some classrooms it's more striking than others. Yeah. But uh, in some of the classrooms that I was in today, uh, it was it was quite clear that a majority of the kids in the room were lacking in some crucial developmental skills. Exactly the skills you mentioned that we want kids to be good at: flexibility, problem solving. Um, but there's also this um, bind that I think sometimes classroom teachers find themselves in, mm-hmm. and that is that while many of them, and the goals that they have for their students to speak to this, while many of them would love to be teaching flexibility, adaptability, frustration, tolerance, problem-solving, yeah. also this strong need, understandable need, to have the classroom maintain some semblance of behavioral control Mm. I think a lot of people feel that those two goals, helping individual kids and maintaining control in the classroom, are contradictory and at odds with each other.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: What's your take on that? Well, I think we have to begin by distinguishing between control by the teacher and a controlled environment in which the kids can play a more democratic role in thinking together about what the classroom looks like. So many people confuse those two and assume that if the teacher doesn't have the traditional um, role of controller, that the classroom will be, quote, out of control. And I don't think that follows at all, logically or in fact. And the second distinction I would make is between control and structure. Some of the most exciting democratic communities I've been in where the kids play an active role together through class meetings in making decisions and solving problems together, are actually highly structured environments. Um, but when teachers say that they need, the kids need structure, they are often rationalizing a more traditional top-down approach in which the teacher exerts control over the kid's now, your question gets also to a distinction between responding to the individual student's needs and looking collectively at what the whole classroom needs. And um, there are times when you will every teacher experiences that pull in different directions. On the other hand, when each of the individual kids is being treated with respect by the teacher and brought in on decision-making, the whole class the class as a whole tends to function better. And so there's this balance between individual decision-making, what would you like to write about, what do you think um, would be a good way for you to show me what you know about this topic, said to individual kid. And on the other hand, the collective decision-making. I mean, when you put autonomy and community together, you get democracy, which is something completely unfamiliar to most Americans, (laughs) certainly to people in schools. Um, And I think it's possible to do that. The problem is that most teachers aren't experiencing the tug between what Louisa decides for herself and what the whole class should decide together that would be in their mutual interest. What most teachers are doing is just figuring out what I can do to make them reach my goals in a way that's convenient for me Mm. so that you lose out on both individual and collective uh, decision making but it takes not only skills for the teacher to facilitate a class meeting to help students figure out how to create an environment that's to everyone's best interest it also takes guts none of the stuff that you talk about Ross or that I talk about in terms of social, moral, emotional, or intellectual progress, none of this is possible until teachers are willing to give up some control and to take a hard look at the extent to which what they're really looking for from their kids is to do what we tell them to do. And the more we're focused on compliance, the more we're just going to keep shuffling through an endless variety of discipline and classroom management tools that an endless supply of consultants will be all too happy to sell us.
1: Well, it's interesting. If you focus on compliance, you're not doing any favors for what I've come to call the regular old kids. Or any kid. You are especially... Putting at a disadvantage kids who aren't very good at the skill of compliance in the first place because now you are demanding a skill that they aren't very good at in the first place. Right, 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 right. And now, I
2: So the second point of what you're (laughs) saying makes makes absolute sense, and most teachers agree with that. All right, if I'm doing that to that kid, you know, but but they claim they're doing it for the regular kids. I have all the the good kids to think about. The rest of the class when 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 joey acts up but i think you're absolutely right you're not let's take a real practical concrete example when kids are given a time out, or more accurately put forcibly isolated from their peers in front of their peers or when they're excluded and exiled from the classroom teachers often justify this by saying all right maybe it's not helping that kid but i have all the other kids to think about okay let's ask what message do all the rest of the kids get when they see that kid treated that way, now this classroom doesn't feel safe. Now they've learned that you're a member of this classroom community only contingently, and any of us, too, could be kicked out when we fail to please the teacher. Everybody loses, not just the kid who's obviously the victim, from traditional punitive and exclusionary kinds of interventions.
1: We are talking about quite a uh, shift in mindset here because you're um, trying to help people shift from uh, one definition of control in which you're describing, as you always have quite eloquently, that, um, boy, you're not helping anybody that way and you're teaching exactly the wrong thing that you might wish to teach, to a completely different definition of control and I'm wondering—I don't know if this is a great question or not, but let's see. Um, what, what definition of control are we talking about here? If, if, we're, if we are relinquishing a what I might call very traditional definition of control, but that might not be specific enough. But if we're relinquishing the idea that kids should basically do what we say, so that we can have an orderly classroom, and anybody who can't meet that litmus test can't be part of our classroom. Mm-hmm. What what definition of
2: control would we switch over to? Uh, I I don't mind jettisoning the word, frankly, rather than straining to find a more acceptable and less destructive definition. I mean, I spoke a moment ago about the idea of a a, a controlled classroom to use it as an adjective in that mm-hmm. way, by which I guess I mean one that's that's not chaotic, um, which I think is generally a good thing. That doesn't mean it's silent. It doesn't mean that everybody's doing the same thing uh, without a peep, because not much learning takes place in a classroom that's very quiet most of the time, mm-hmm. or where only the teacher's voice is typically heard. Um, but uh, I, just, I guess I'm less interested in rescuing the notion of the <laughs> control than I am in um, challenging the false dichotomy that people set up where either it's controlled or else it's 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 chaos and nobody gets anything done and the kids do whatever they feel like and hurt each other and so on i want to argue that you know there's there's an alternative just like for individual parents thank goodness we don't have to choose between being punitive and being permissive false dichotomies make choosing easy that's why we love them so much we know we hate this, so we feel that leaves us with only that. And, of course,
1: with extremely challenging kids, we hate both. Because if we are punitive with a challenging kid who doesn't respond especially well to punitive, yeah. um, now we've made our situation worse. I, of course, I've always called that plan A. Yeah, But we also know that we can't just let him slide because he'll wreak havoc on our classroom, that's Plan C. Right. Well, actually, that's not even Plan C. Plan C is more prioritizing. That's really capitulating, and Plan C doesn't stand for capitulating, which means that in the case of challenging kids, um, boy, neither of our two options is uh, particularly savory In the case of not-so-challenging kids, the ones that I call Plan A responders, the ones you can get away with in position of adult will, Mm -hmm. um, you can get away with it so you may not even be noticing that you may not be accomplishing
2: what you had hoped to accomplish. Right. In other words, or to put it in slightly different language, Plan A can be, quote, effective with some kids. But the immediate question we'd want to ask is effective at what? Right. And we come back to the original question of what's our goal? Is it just to get compliance? I worry about the, a lot of the good doobies, you know, who the teachers are. They, they sit down at the parent conference and go, oh, you know, uh, Joanne is a pleasure to teach. You know, she's, she never misbehaves, comes in all the time, gets her work done, never a problem to me. I wish I had 30 Joannes. And, you know, I'm nervous now. I want to know what kind of person is joanne becoming is she going to be a courageous person a moral person is she learning in any active sense is her curiosity about the world intact or has she been turned into an obedient drone that makes the teacher's life easier our school systems are really geared more to creating those kind of kids and so is classroom management that's why you start out with the long-term goals. For example, if you want kids to be courageous, independent thinkers, then, boy, is that going to lead you to think about these other questions differently. So we are
1: abandoning the word control because we don't need to use it to define what our goal really is. What is our goal? And you've you've talked about it a little bit. I just want to ask you to be a little bit more explicit. What is our goal? Uh, and... Maybe some ideas for folks who aren't necessarily familiar with your work, as if there is such a thing.
2: Oh, imagine
1: that. I have trouble imagining oh, it.
2: Yes. yes. Um, what, how, do we, how do we get there? Well, the goal, again, I, I, I want to ask teachers and parents to uh, think of that question, and I suggested a few moments ago, some of the responses I get all the time in rural and urban and suburban districts, public and private schools, elementary and secondary, teachers, administrators, and parents, they all say, you know, we want kids to be happy, ethical, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how we get there uh, involves as I, w- one aspect of it is to, as I said, be willing for us to give up some control and give kids individually and collectively more opportunity to make decisions i like to say that kids learn how to make good decisions by making decisions not by following directions and so any aspect of our of our classrooms that are really oriented to getting kids to follow directions is most likely just going to make things more convenient for me as the adult but not going to help me meet my long-term goals for the kind of people and learners the kids turn out to be so what I found, not only from from research and from thinking about it, but from visiting loads of classrooms and schools, is that the teachers who are getting the best results in the best sense of that word—I don't mean quiet, orderly, uh, compliant classrooms—and I certainly don't mean high test scores—but I mean, you know, kids who are excited about being in school, who are treating each other with gentleness and care um, who are taking responsibility for their own learning because they've been given the opportunity to do so, mm-hmm. structurally speaking, what those teachers are, are doing to get there is some combination of the following. First, their emphasis is on creating a caring community in the classroom and school-wide. And we can come back to any of this stuff yes, or any theoretical callers we might get and what they might want to know. Or otherwise, we'll imagine. And, and not to interrupt, we do have a caller who
1: I'm just going to encourage to hang in there. We're going to okay. take calls if they come in, but I, I want to let you. Um, I, I let people know, as you probably heard at the beginning of the program, that you and I were going to chat a little bit. But oh yes, we'll right. Okay. Probably start asking for people who are on
2: who are waiting in about yes. five or ten minutes. But go okay. ahead. So sure. community
1: building was the first thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, a sense of a caring community, and one of the exercises I do with teachers is I ask them rather perversely uh how would you kill a caring sense of caring community if if you for some reason wanted to do that (laughs) if some satanic foundation offered you unlimited money in your school if if only you made sure that people at the school didn't feel safe and connected and sense of belonging Um, and that's very interesting because then you think about what the answers tell you about what currently goes on so just to digress for a second. When I ask people, how would you kill a sense of caring and community at a school, people say, first, I would have an awards assembly. I would have contests where kids are set against each other. I would post their ranks, you know, so everyone comes to look at everybody else as a potential obstacle to his or her own success. I would have lots of pull-out programs, uh, lots of gifted and talented, um, lots of uh, special needs programs that that are exclusive and stigmatizing uh, and, and so on, and tracking and uh, what kills community. And people come up with all kinds of inventive answers to this. In other words, we're killing community for real right now by those kinds of traditional practice. But I also encourage people to think proactively, affirmatively, what can we do to help kids feel that sense of us, to think in the plural So the second thing that I think great teachers and schools do to get to those long-term goals is to give kids lots of say about what they're doing. Why in the world should the teacher decide unilaterally how the furniture is arranged in the classroom or what goes on the walls or what we're going to read next or whether we'll take a field trip and if so, where and when and how it'll be arranged and what book we're going to read and how we'll solve problems when some people are mean to each other. All of these things in the best classrooms are a matter for the whole community to decide. And then the third thing that teachers, I think, are often doing is creating caring and respectful relationships with each kid, including an undercurrent of unconditional acceptance. I may be pissed off by what you're doing, but I'm never going to lose faith in you. And that's most important for the kids who give us the most trouble, Mm -hmm. which means that the kids who give us the most trouble are the last ones we would ever punish with timeouts or detentions or suspensions or notes home or trips to the principal's office because punishments by any name, even if we call them consequences, rupture that relationship that kids need to have with us. And then the last point that I think I found with the best teachers is what they do is they make sure the curriculum is worth learning. Because if you're giving kids worksheets to fill out, if they have to read awful, awkward, committee-written textbooks and then answer the odd-numbered questions at the end of the chapter, if they have to listen passively to lectures, take quizzes, do pointless homework, spit up facts for tests... Then, not only are we doing them a disservice in terms of their intellectual growth, we're going to have all kinds of behavior problems because it makes perfect sense to act out in a situation like that just to make the time pass faster. When kids have a meaningful and engaging curriculum organized around projects that they themselves help to devise instead of around a list of facts and skills, then you're less likely to have kids who feel the need to act out for various reasons. Now, I'm sure,
1: um, of course, this program is not the first place where you've said these things. Yep. And I'm sure you get some very interesting responses to what you just said. Some of which uh, would violate the FCC. Uh, <laughs> if I, I caught up there. <laughs> yes. The one that I'm glomming onto in particular Yeah is the notion, because it flies in the face of, number one, how school discipline programs are designed, but yeah. number two, flies in the face of current initiatives in education that are widespread and very popular that rely very heavy, heavily on consequences mm-hmm. as the primary mechanism through which, Behavioral challenges are addressed. So I'm betting that when you tell people that the last person, the last kid, who should be getting consequences is the one who has behavioral challenges, yeah. I'm I've got to bet that that has to draw some fascinating responses yes. from folks. Oh yeah. What, what 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 do you hear from them, and what do you
2: say back? Yeah. Well, I, it's basically a logical three-part syllogism. You know, the kids with the worst uh, troubles. Uh, the least skills, the ones who act out the most and make our lives difficult and the lives of everyone around them, those are the kids who most need that unconditional support and a caring ally. That's premise one. Um, Premise two is punishment by any name and of any kind ruptures that alliance. Therefore, the conclusion is these are the kids who it's most important to refrain from punishing. Now, the reactions I get. Um, in some cases, I take them at face value, and at other times, I'm listening for a kind of premise or value that underlies the response. Because some people say, "Oh, that's never going to work," you know, or "Not going to work with this kid," or "When was the last time you were in a classroom?" Or just these are ways of putting their hands over their ears and going la 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 because it's 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 a way of saying this is too threatening to consider. Because if you're right then it's not just a matter of my figuring out how I can do Plan B, how I can work with kids. More effectively, I would have to call into question what I've been doing for years. Mm. And I might have to call into question the way I was taught and raised. And it becomes psychologically very challenging to consider the possibility that this is true. Now, when people say, I'm already tell me how to do it. I have my responses include. I would need to know more about you and this particular child in your relationship, and what's been going on, rather than giving just generic advice. And another response is read Ross Greene's books. <laughs> um, and, and I paid big money for that plug, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely, you'll receive the bill next tomorrow. <laughs> but the um, uh, there. But when many people ask, what do you do instead, it's a question that is, on the one hand, very reasonable and legitimate, but on the other hand is a question that is often used to fend off the possibility of learning what to do instead. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I find teachers and parents ask that question not because they want an answer, there's an exclamation point at the end, meaning it's unrealistic, I've already decided it can't be done, and it would be awful, it would be terrible, it would be unrealistic to think you could stop making kids suffer, which is what's known as consequences, instead of posing it as a question, how's, how's it really been working? The problem is that when, when punishment proves, as it always does, counterproductive on many levels, the response typically is to think, I need a new way of punishing. I need uh, uh, to escalate it, or I need to come up with a cleverer uh, behavioral plan so the consequences are more immediate or they hit home Or a better. bigger paddle. In effect, a bigger paddle or a more effective paddle. Right. And if that doesn't work, then the assumption is I've got a really resistant, difficult kid. Mm-hmm. I need some outside help. In other words, you could go 40 years of working in a school system Watching punishment fail every day of your professional life and never question the premise that punishment is effective. Because the more it fails, the more you think the problem is with the kid or the technique of punishment, rather than with the idea that by making kids unhappy deliberately, you're going to help them. Um, And so that is hard for a lot of people to hear. Um, And some people, by the way, I think, and this is a very interesting topic, I'm actually curious to see what you think about this, Ross. I think some people who promote punishment do so because they believe it's the only thing that can ever work if we get it right. In other words, they have an empirical belief uh, that, it, that it's useful or the, the best that we have. But there are other people who have feel that punishment is a moral imperative. So even if you provided them with absolute documentation beyond a shadow of a doubt that punishment will not help all it will ever get you is that temporary compliance and it will make things worse on some level many people wouldn't care because they think in some primitive you know substratum of their reptilian brain that when somebody does something bad you have to do something bad to that person Uh, And that you're you're failing. If If you don't punish, you're letting that kid get away with it. And that even if it makes things worse, you can't fail to do that. So I think it's really useful to help people at least confront introspect and consider the reasons they're doing it. To ask, put it on the table, shine a light on it. Is that your notion of justice? that you make kids suffer because they did something bad. What's your purpose? Is it to enforce, to, uh, to, to avenge the victim, or is it to solve the problem? Um, that's why you know, I tell teachers, if parents say, what are you going to do to the kid who did this to my kid? Then one possible response might be, that depends. What's our goal? If our, if our goal is to get revenge, then we should punish that kid, maybe suspend him. If our goal is to create a safer school so that your kid and every other kid are unlikely to suffer from that again, then the last thing we should do is punish the kid. Mm -hmm. Because in a very practical sense, you know, you punish that kid who, who, who punched somebody else. That kid is now going to be angrier and now a little cleverer at figuring out how to get away with it next time. Well, and you're saying
1: something... Um, that certainly uh, resonates with me, and that is that people who tend to be very punishment-oriented often haven't given what they're doing a great deal of thought. Not only have they not given what they're doing a great deal of thought, they haven't always necessarily given a great deal of thought to how it is impacting the individual they're doing it to. Yeah. But they especially sometimes need help thinking about what is the goal here.
2: You're talking about the kid now.
1: No, I'm I'm talking about the adults. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. What's our goal? And is what we're doing to this kid really helping us move in that direction? And sometimes people just need the opportunity to give the matter some thought because Uh they never have.
2: Yeah, right. Right. Um, And by uh, the way, that the failure to think through. You know, that's how you describe many of the troubled kids indeed they're doing the best they can but they are unable or unwilling or don't have enough time to really step back and ask uh, does this make sense what i'm doing and that's what you're saying that adults need to do as well Right. so
1: we have we have two callers waiting one one has their hand raised that's from the area code 708 and i'm about to put them on Mm -hmm. and the other does not have their hand raised that's area code
2: 206 and um... What does that mean, not to have a hand raised on the well, phone?
1: Well, uh, you know, uh, here's where uh, apparently you need to raise your hand, uh, and you did. You're you're a good doobie. Your your hand is raised in the place where you called in. Um, apparently, there's some place where you click that you actually want to Oh, you push a
2: zero to say, I want to be
1: on the air or something. Got it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to assume that the person from Area Code 206 does not want to be on the air and is just listening to the program for having dialed in. But I'm now going to bring on our listener from Area Code 708. You are mm-hmm. on the air with me and Alfie. Hello.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I, I don't think we have to do anything special. I just think the next person in queue looks like they're ready to talk because oh. I didn't do anything special. Yeah, oh,
1: okay. Serious. Well, go ahead. Do you have a question or a comment for anything yeah, uh, that you've been hearing today so far?
0: Well, the, uh, what you're talking about reminds me of the vocabulary of the correctional system. I mean, it's, there's quite a few parallels between the educational system and corrections. In mm-hmm. fact, now, a friend of mine is a, a dropout, and he, he joined into the almsbudman, almsbudman program at the local high school where they sit in front of a computer and finish their degrees instead of getting a GED. But my real question is to Alfie regarding the state of the union if you will, the state of the educational union. It's I mean it's 96% in the uh, standardized test arena. And probably there's there's a few floaters out there, but how does a parent uh, wrestle with this with this uh, this kind of uh, a system where you're you know I'm not going to change it. I, I have my son's a sophomore. He's he's going to you know go through this. The, he's going to go through the standardized test mill. And what? How does a parent um, keep the the child? From becoming, uh, you know, lost in the in the uh, boredom of it all.
2: Well, well, the the challenge for me here is to try to answer that in a minute rather than an hour. Well, you've got uh, you've got four or five if you want, but go ahead. Yeah, but I don't want to go too. I mean, th- this is related, and it's by the way kind of interesting the respects in which this question is related to what we're mostly talking about. Uh, But it's also distinct, so I don't want to – other people may not be as interested in this. The respect in which it's related is that more pressure to raise test scores also leads teachers to become more controlling in the classroom and to create the kinds of learning tasks that are far less interesting and engaging, leading more to more uh, kids acting out. Um, And it it is also related in another even more disturbing sense in which – Kids who are potentially low test scorers, therefore reflecting badly on the adults, are sometimes classified uh, as behavior problems and excluded from school and so on. Um, This was seen with the Many Children Left Behind Act, where there's more criminalization of, uh, of acting out behavior on the part of kids for reasons that have to do with the adults' reputations from average test scores. So, those things are related. But uh, what I think parents can and need to do about almost any problem, whether it's standardized testing or homework and so on, is to move on two tracks at once. In the short run, to do what we can to protect our kids, to inoculate them against the harm uh, as, as best we can in the short run. And then in the long run, to become politically involved, to organize and mobilize to join with other parents, you know, to talk about this, uh, you know, at birthday parties and the beauty parlor and dinner parties and online in the supermarket and to try to get a sense, to to let parents know that, you know, absurd, ludicrous, um, destructive policies of both the Obama and Bush administrations around issues like standardized testing. Um, This is not like the weather, (laughs) Not a fact of life. You know. These are political decisions that can be questioned and challenged and, and rolled back. And many parents and some teachers are actually boycotting the test. Some kids have done that on their own in some states. Have said, I, you know, my kid's not going to be part of this. Um, and I'm going to try to make sure that as many other parents as I can are brought into to doing this. I, I've written a lot about this and I've drawn on the wonderful ideas that a grassroots movement uh, reacting to what you've described has begun to grow around the country. If I may Ross mention my website absolutely where there's a lot of a lot more resources on this topic. Uh, my website is basically my name it 's spelled a l f i e k o h n dot org and then click on standards and testing.
1: Um, we have only about two minutes left. Oh. Um, but as long as we're on the topic, the Obama administration just today has yeah. um, released some information about how they intend to change uh, no child left behind, or as you call it, many children left behind. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on what you're reading? Um, I'm, I'm
2: just beginning to grasp this. It's just new, uh, you know, and it'll go through revisions. You know, they're they're basically doing what I many of us predicted, which is uh, sanding off some of the rough edges like the the absolute deadline, every child proficient by 2014, you know, which, of course, no unmedicated observer ever believed was possible. But at the same time, they're not only leaving intact, it would appear, the absurd, punitive and test-driven nature of this law. In some ways, it looks like they're going to make it worse, I'm reading now. Uh, I hope I've got this wrong, but my understanding from just reading it in the newspaper is they actually want to take money that was apportioned on the basis of need, like the number of poor students in a school district, and instead make more of that money a reward for having raised test scores. I mean, you you hardly know. This is to the right of George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The notion of fairness is turned upside down. Um, first of all, the, the idea that you, you reward people you, make, you offer money contingently to children 's education, or you have to jump through the hoops to get funded is an obscenity. But to make it worse it 's not even on the basis of success in helping kids to learn it 's on the basis of scores on standardized tests that measure what matters least. Yeah. you know so it's, and that 's why we have to this is a key time for us all to contact our U.S. representatives and and senators, and say, absolutely not. You know, this kind of tweaking and even exacerbating of a terrible law, we've already perhaps cost, you know, half a generation with this madness. And now proving once again that the relevant distinction is not between Democrats and Republicans, but between people who have some understanding of what learning is about, And those who haven't a clue, and we end up, unfortunately, with the clueless getting to mandate their ignorance with the force of law. Alfie, it is
1: always fun. We unfortunately need to end the show for today. Okay. Program, I'm sorry, I slipped and called it a show. Um, you got his website. It's always a blast talking with you and hearing your ideas. And um, thank you so much for taking the time to participate in this today.
2: Well I I uh I appreciate the invitation Ross and I hope your your listeners uh, know how good they've got it with the kind of humane and effective advice you offer with with tough kids which stands out like a um you know a diamond in a field of manure in terms of uh opportunities to do right by kids and to be more effective.
1: We'll, we'll give you time to rethink the, that analogy um, <laughs> for, for the next time that you go on. Thank you. Um, thoughts. Uh, it's been a blast. I can't wait to see you again. And once again, thanks for, thanks for doing this today. You bet. Okay. Bye. And to those of you who have been listening in, join again next week. We'll do it all over again. Thanks to Alfie Cohn. Uh, boy, his work is so important. And what a privilege it was to have him on the program today. Talk to you next week.